Hey everyone, welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. I hope you're all having a great week. In today's episode, I am joined by Dr. Megan Rossi, aka the Gut Health Doctor. And today we're going to be talking about food and nutrition and diet and lifestyle and the important role that our gut health plays. Now, Megan's been on the show before and I was excited to have this conversation with her. As a doctor, of course, she's going to talk to us about the science and the evidence and that is really super important. But as always on this show, I want the listeners to take away things that are actionable, things that are impactful, to be empowered, to make to make decisions and to make change. So I really hope that this conversation is a useful one and as much as possible I just wanted to keep it real because you know life happens and as much as we see you know contrasting headlines specifically around lifestyle diet exercise nutrition it can be so confusing and overwhelming that it's important to just yeah keep the conversation real and say okay what does this actually mean for me and how does it actually play out in my day-to-day life so let's dive in to this week's episode with Dr. Megan Rossi. Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome to the Power Hour podcast, Dr. Megan Rossi. How are you? Really good. Thanks for having me back. Well, I should say welcome back, yes, because you were a guest on the podcast way back when, when we were still, you know, recording face-to-face in the studio in London, which was which was great. Well, it's been a long couple of years, hasn't it? Yeah, I remember those good old days like they were just yesterday. <laughs> I know. And I think, you know, at the start of the year, a lot of us are feeling that new energy, new year, new attitude, which I absolutely love. But last year was life-changing for well, lots of people and for you, Megan, because you became a parent back in April. It literally uh, was the biggest change of my life. I mean, I obviously knew having a baby would change your life, but probably not as much as it did, like the most magical thing, but also, yeah, really changing, I guess, my priorities, how I look after my own health. And here I am, you know, reflecting back when I was doing the podcast with you last time. And I, some of my strategies probably meant that I was recommending people take like you know, 30 minutes out for themselves when now I appreciate that actually, you know, pretty much only five minutes I have to myself each and every day because having a seven month year old, yeah, is a lot. Yeah, I'm sure lots of lots of parents can relate to that. One thing I would say though, Megan, is I, I often say to friends when they first have babies, I'm like the first year, I describe it as being in the trenches. And once you kind of celebrate that first birthday, obviously it's a celebration for them, but I also congratulate parents. I'm like, congratulations to you. Because year one, I really do think is the hardest. And I don't think people really talk about that. They're just like, oh, wow, isn't it cute? Isn't it fun? But I really do believe year one is the toughest. And then after that, it kind of yeah I mean there's different challenges of course but I can't even imagine how you have done that during a pandemic and you've still been working and written a brand new book yeah I know I mean when you've got a passion for something as I know you you'll appreciate you kind of just put your head down and get things done don't you um and then you come out the other side and go wow 
I can't actually believe I did that, but I'm here to tell the story. (laughs) Yeah, well, we're going to dive into all of that today. But first up, for anyone who knows you online, if they follow you, they'll know that they'll know you as the gut health doctor. And you've been talking about all things related to gut health for a very long time. But it seems as though gut health is getting a lot more attention and a lot more spotlight these days. So more people online, more health professionals, even more food brands are now talking about the importance of our gut health. So Megan, first up, could you give us a bit of an overview, I guess maybe even a summary of what role gut health really plays and why it's so important? Yeah, so like you said, it it really has just recently gotten to the media spotlight, but I think that has been, you know, growing and growing from the scientific evidence. Gut health is a landmark scientific discovery, which essentially relates to the functioning of our entire digestive tract. So we've got this nine meter long tube inside each and every one of us. So the tube that delivers food from entry all the way to exit, that essentially is like the definition of gut health. And gut health is incredibly important for everyone. I would say really comes down to two key reasons. One, which is on everyone's minds at the moment, is because of our immune health. So along that nine-meter digestive tract actually lays 70% of our immune system. And we certainly see people who have better gut health also have more supported and robust immune systems. And there is some fascinating research coming out around COVID-19 and highlighting that having good gut health is not going to prevent you from getting COVID-19. But it does appear that having good gut health can prevent you from becoming severely unwell if you do get COVID-19. And they're, they're doing research highlighting that people who do need things like respiratory support seem to be missing key gut bacteria. So we do know that, you know, our gut health um, is is so, so important for our immune system. So that's, you know, one of the main uh, focuses. The second reason, and it's really this, I think, that's been this landmark scientific scientific discovery that's really changing everyone's view, I guess, on how we manage our health and wellness. Uh, And that is the fact that along that nine meter digestive tract actually lives trillions of microorganisms. And when I say microorganisms, most of them are bacteria, as, as people may have heard, but actually we also contain things like beneficial viruses and types of fungi like yeast in our gut. And it's this collection that we scientifically call our gut microbiome. Um, so I nickname it to the GM cause it's a little, a little less scientific. Uh, but yeah, I think this, this community of, of microorganisms within us, we're appreciating actually do so much for us. They not only produce different vitamins, they help regulate, um, our hormones that are even being, uh, shown to do things that communicate with our brain, our metabolism and so much more. So This is why I think it's starting to get out there more in the media because it's probably taken about 10 to 15 years, like most research, for a lot of that background work to be done. And now it's starting to kind of be broadcasted out. Um, But I think it's important people appreciate that gut health isn't just going to be another fleeting trend because there is so much science behind it. Because it is a landmark scientific discovery, it is one that's here to say. So it's it's going to monumentally change, I guess, how we we view food, we view um, treating conditions, we view preventing conditions, and and also maximizing longevity. Mm. Well, it's it's interesting that you said the word trend because I do think that when it comes to food, when it comes to nutrition, well-being, there are always trends. There's always kind of, you know, when I said there's a spotlight on it, it's not to say that, oh, it's just 
this just for this moment that everyone's talking about it. But we do see that, don't we? We see people kind of saying everybody flocks towards uh, one specific kind of diet or one kind of way of exercising or suddenly, whether it's from celebrities and then it trickles down through media. And really, I think the important part there to note is, as you said, it's science-based and it's something that as we discover more and as we learn more, we can, I guess, of course, we have to take those new things into consideration and to hopefully impact them in a way that's going to be beneficial to all of us so yes i certainly don't want people to think that you know of course it's january it's the new year everybody's looking for lots of people are talking about things around diet and 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 exercise and it kind of feels like the the moment you know in the year when everyone chats about it but i mean regular listeners of the show will probably know this is something that is really i guess important to me but also also just fascinating. You know, I've heard the gut microbiome described as as a jungle. And I really like that as somebody who's got lots of plants in my house um, of saying that, yeah, when you, that's how I kind of talk about it with my son is that if you think about all the different kinds of, whether it's colors or, you know, different vegetables, different fruits, different textures, like all of these things trying to make your diet as diverse as a jungle would be. I really, really like that like visual analogy of thinking about, about what we're eating. I love that. Absolutely. And also getting kids on board early, like it is so powerful. I've been, you know, speaking to my little nephew about his little pet inside him, you know, his community of microbes since he was, you know, two and now he's uh, five and he eats so many more different types of um, plants that a lot of kids would hate because he he knows that that's what feeds his little pet within him. So he's like, I don't really like Brussels sprouts, but I know that my microbes love them, so I'm going to eat them. <laughs> and and that, you know, I think is a really powerful approach to nutrition. Mm, absolutely. And I guess one thing I should ask you, when it comes to the gut health, of course, we're, we're told to have a diverse range of different things. I think, was it, was the recommendation 30 different, um, different plants or different, different foods in a week? Yeah, that, that's what I recommend people try hit the 30. But when we, we talk about this 30, I'm absolutely not just talking about veg and fruit. I, I talk about um, the super six, which includes things like your whole grains, your nuts and seeds, your fruit, your veg, uh, your legumes, your beans and your pulses, and your herbs and your spices. So these are the super six plant-based groups. So those 30 that I recommend people try get come from all six. So actually it's not about, you know, having to have a very boring, you know, green leafy diet. That's absolutely not what the science shows. It's trying to get as much abundance of all these amazing different flavors into your diet. And, and that is what's linked with the best overall health outcomes. Great. Well, a big question that I want to put to you, Megan, uh, no pressure, it's quite a big one, is that actually in I knew that I was going to be talking to you this week. And last week I read uh, a headline, it was from a nutritionist that said, your diet is to blame for everything. Now, of course, that is a big statement. I don't want to just take it out of context. So to kind of give the context, they were talking about the fact that whether we have um, health complaints, whether we have discomfort, whether that's sleep uh, problems, whether it's having brain fog and, and feeling tired all the time, skin conditions such as eczema, psoriasis, uh, low mood, even anxiety, health-related injuries, the list was on and on and on and on and on. And this nutritionist was essentially saying that if any anyone comes to them with a problem, the first thing they do is say, your diet is to blame for everything because of the role that the gut health plays and deficiencies and all of these things. So of course, a very, very huge uh, claim. And I think it can be quite, 
I guess it can be quite intimidating, but also quite empowering to think, wow, you know, this could be impacting so much more than I than just the calories or the size of my body. It's all the energy that I feel. It could be impacting everything in my life. So what would you say about that statement that your diet is to blame for everything? I would say there is some truth to it, but also, it, you know, let's not overstate uh uh, things that you know are always in our control. We certainly know that our genetics are going to have some role. In fact, um, the role is much smaller than what we historically thought. So, around I would say probably less than twenty percent of chronic con- chronic conditions are actually down to our genetics alone. So that leaves about you know eighty percent coming down to things like our diet and lifestyle. So we absolutely know that diet and lifestyle are hugely important. Um, but I mean, I think it's a bit it's a bit much saying that they are kind of the only cause and the only mm. thing because you know there are a lot of people who are suffering and they may have a brilliant diet, a brilliant lifestyle. It is the minority. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily fair to kind of ignore that there will be some genetic component. But absolutely, I, I want people to be really empowered by the stats, which shows that actually about 80% of our health and happiness is in our own hands. And the science is absolutely exploding in terms of in terms of helping us to understand, you know, the why. And the why is because of these trillions of microorganisms living with inside of us. So, mm. you know, we've always known that nutrition was really important for, for health outcomes. Um, but now we understand a little bit more because the food is not only feeding our human cells, but also feeding those trillions of microorganisms. So, you know, you mentioned the calorie word and hopefully that will be something we we touch on more because, you know, in January, it upsets me so much when you see all of these crazy restrictive diets where they're either cutting out whole food groups, which we know is very bad for our gut health, um, or, you know, getting people to fixate on calories. And for those who have been down the calorie path, you'll know that a Kit Kat and a banana actually contain the same amount of calories. So you know, a lot of people on these sorts of calorie counting diets are like, oh, well, obviously going the Kit Kat. But little do they know that things like a banana actually contain serotonin, the happy hormone. Um, they also contain things like potassium, which is really important for our heart health. Um And then other things like prebiotics, which feed the gut bacteria. So we need to absolutely look, you know, beyond uh, food as just being like this, this calorie counting thing. And don't get me started on, you know, calories, actually a lot of them being inaccurate on the packets. So for example, almonds Mm. actually contain 30% less calories than what the packet says, because the way they're analyzed is is not very accurate, unlike how how our body digests it. So, I mean, in the book, I go through all of this about (laughs) trying to get people to, you know, look at food completely differently um, because you can absolutely, if weight loss and weight management is your goal, uh, which I know for a lot of people, you know, in January it is, you do not need to go on a restrictive diet and you don't need to count calories because yes, maybe in the short term you'll lose some weight that that way, but actually you get very much um, kind of taken into this yo-yoing diet. And because our gut bacteria have such an important role in our metabolism and doing those diets can be very damaging for our gut health. Actually, we think a lot of the yo-yoing, so the not only gaining the weight, but putting on a whole lot of extra, maybe because of the damage that was done through your gut, your gut bacteria. So it is, you know, really important. We think about, you know, the medium term effects of a lot of these diets that are being sprouted at the moment. 
Mm, gosh, so much. Okay, I'm going to put a pin in this calorie conversation because I want to revisit it. But I think before we do that, just looping back to, you know, the statement of all oh, your, your diet is to blame for everything. And as I said, I don't want to just take out of context, but looking at food in isolation, of course, is it does have a big impact on our lives. But I think what's missing from that statement is when we think about all of the other things that impact our relationship with food and why we eat. It's not just, of course, to, you know, fuel the body, which is the main reason. But what about the enjoyment? What about the socializing? What about the social economic factors that make it potentially more difficult for certain people to have, you know, access and education around food, or maybe even just the time that it takes to, you know, prepare fresh food and all these things. So yeah, I think when I read that statement, of course, it is like someone who's constantly trying to read and learn more about taking control of my own health, I did think, well, surely it's not just a one size fits all for everyone. And I think it's quite dangerous actually when we say things like that and expect you know because I think it can assign a lot of guilt and a lot of blame to people if they're like oh well actually the reason that you have low mood or the reason that you have eczema or the reason that you have this thing is your fault because of the foods that you eat absolutely and also kind of making food a medicalized thing so yes we know there's incredible health benefits attached to food but like you said eating should be a joy. So I actually grew up on a farm um, from, you know, Italian background where at the center of our farm, you know, my nana lived and my nunu and we always would go there and food would bring everyone together. So for me as being such a foodie, it really upsets me um, when people start to kind of fear different foods because they see it just in a black and white as healthy, not healthy. And they forget about all of the, the enjoyment and the background, you know, cultural vibe that comes from you know food and the different like memories attached to things like a birthday cake um so absolutely i think you know we need to have an idea of what we're putting into our bodies and the effects of that but you know like for example i always make if i'm making a cake i'll add some extra things like carrot grated carrot in there and i and i talk all about that those sorts of like easy hacks all the time because it's a case of not having to forgo foods but we need to remember you know things like having a little bit of sugar is completely fine it's it's you know it's not doing yourself um any harm as long as you're basing your diet on, on as many different whole plants as possible Hmm. Okay. So let's loop back. As I said, I was going to put a pin in the point around calories. And of course, the new book that you've written, Eat More, Live Well, which is out now. You know, what I liked about it straight away, I mean, literally the heading, Eat More. I'm like, okay, good. I'm going to like this book. (laughs) But mostly because I think, you know, when people think about gut health, often they think, okay, I need to eliminate things. It's this reductionist approach to saying, okay, certain food groups, if we're not eliminating them, maybe it's limiting them. Whereas actually, you know, of course, talking to people about enjoying more different kinds of food and adding more to the plate and adding more to your smoothies or just thinking about it in that way is, of course, something that is always going to resonate with me as somebody who loves to cook and loves to eat. So why is it that we need to be focusing on, whether it's January, whether it's summer, whatever the month, why is it we need to be focusing on adding things in instead of eliminating and taking things out yeah well, i mean it's because of the science so there is this huge disconnect between 
um, these scientific studies that are coming out showing us how we can really nourish our gut bacteria and the sorts of interventions and things we need to be doing from a nutrition and lifestyle perspective versus the information that's being force-fed um, to the general public around uh, you know, how to nourish their gut. So essentially that's why I wrote the book is to bridge these two worlds, which, um, you know, it just, yeah, is not doing anyone, um, uh, you know, justice in terms of helping people actually achieve the results they want to. So we know scientifically that actually adding in as many different types of plant-based foods as possible actually nourishes your gut bacteria in a very unique way because each different type of plant, remember it comes from those super six, not just, you know, fruit and veg, actually contains different types of plant chemicals um, which feeds different types of gut bacteria. So if you're only you know, feeding your bacteria broccoli, then only the broccoli loving bacteria are really going to thrive and, um, you know, proliferate. Whereas if you're feeding them a really diverse range of foods like, you know, quinoa and chickpeas and lentils, etc., then actually you're really growing a diverse range of bacteria. And like you said, the forest analogy or the jungle analogy, you know, mm. you want a more diverse, you know, range of species within you because that means they'll be more resilient and they've essentially got more skills to then in turn look after you so the studies have shown that by focusing what you're adding in it not only will then in turn deliver more nutrients to the gut bacteria so they can in turn look after you but also it creates this more positive um, mind frame and attachment to food um, and relationship with food. And, and certainly I do see all the time the health clinic where, you know, people who have got these negative relationships with foods are actually much more likely to have digestive, digestive upset. And that's because of this two-way communication between the gut and the brain. So in your head, if you have a negative relationship with certain foods, that can essentially, when you're eating those foods, it kind of like strangles your gut, um, even if it's subconscious. And in turn, you're more prone to things like, you know, bloating and constipation, etc. So actually having a more positive relationship with food can improve things like digestion. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, the gut mind connection we know is really powerful, but I think it's really interesting when you hear it playing out like that, you know, it's not just about what you're eating, but of course, how you, how you think about that food and how does this, so how does this play out in our day-to-day -day life? So for example, all the things you've listed, if you're looking at, let's say we're looking at two different well, the same person, because obviously our bodies are different, but the same person, but at two different stages in their life. So one is when they have a very restrictive diet, maybe they eat the same foods over and over again, and maybe they're trying to cut things out that they think will cause them to be bloated or whatever. Then let's say, look at their gut when they're eating 30 or more different types of these super six, and they've got diverse plants and diversity in their diet and on their plate. What would the difference be typically would you expect in the day to day life? Like how does it actually play out in how we feel versus how we would feel before and after? Yeah, look, I talk about this in the book uh, with case studies because I know it's so important that, yes, obviously everything is science-backed, but actually people, you know, understand how how it can have these, you know, really measurable impacts in their day-to-day -day life. So I love this question so much. So, you know, I talk about uh, one client um, who exactly was that. So she'd been yo-yoing, dieting for like forever, um, and she had gained a lot of weight and actually had become pre-diabetic um, as a result. Um, 
of you know not necessarily looking after herself and, and being you know fixated on cutting food groups out and actually she came to see me the key trigger was uh her daughter um she started to notice her daughter was mimicking some of her dieting eating habits and she was like whoa no this has gone too far when you know my world starting to impact my daughter's relationship with food so what we did is actually slowly started to broaden up her diet so obviously i um needed to spend some time with her helping her to get over things like you know eating some you know full fat Greek yogurt it's not going to make you fat and doing things around mindful eating etc and then also of course when people are starting to broaden up their diet it is important that um, you know if they've got a sensitive gut that they do do things slowly and I, I talk about all the strategies in the book of, of you know how to prevent having gut symptoms because we know if you go from a very restricted diet um, to a very broad diet um you know, it can take a while for your gut to adjust and absolutely everyone's gut will adjust, um, but it, it needs to happen in stages because essentially when you restrict down your, your diet, actually it restricts down the bacteria and therefore they're not very good at digesting those foods anymore. But, you know, some of the changes that she saw, so she no longer um, was pre-diabetic when she went and had her blood test again. This is about three months after following the diversity diet. Um she noticed that she was having less hot flushes, so she was going through the menopause. Um, she Her mood had certainly picked up, she reported, uh, and uh, she was fitting back into um, her, her favourite jeans uh, as a little bonus. Um, so, yeah, these are the sorts of things that, I, you know, I see every single day in clinic. Um, and then there's other people, you know, who, who come to me more because they, they – you know, really are struggling with things like um, uh, their mood. Uh, and we now have really strong scientific evidence, but nourishing your body with as many different types of plants doesn't have to be plants only. So I think that's a really important principle that I talk about with the diversity diet is that it's, it's mostly plants. Um, so that's the, you know, the definition of plant-based, the base of the diet is plants, but actually whatever you choose to add on top of that is up to you. So it's based on plants, but not necessarily plants only. Um mm. And, you know, doing these sorts of things have have resulted in, you know, really profound changes, uh, which I guess, it, you know, 10 years ago we would have thought, oh, that sounds a bit quacky, but we now know the mechanism. It, it comes down to the, the gut microbiome and how actually the chemicals that bacteria produce are thought to do things like pass through the blood-brain barrier um, mm. and, you know, can have measurable impacts on things like our mental health. And, and I talk about the SMILES trial uh, in the book as one of the landmark studies. So if anyone's a bit skeptical about how, you know, measurable the impacts can be of, you know, nourishing a gut, gut bacteria on our mental health, then check out that study because it it really will change change your view. Yeah. And also, I love that you said that about being skeptical, because, of course, you know, some people, I think they're just more that's just their personality to be quite skeptical about things. And you said, you know, oh, it sounds a bit whack. But for me, I ultimately believe everybody wants to feel good and whatever that means for them. You know, people want to be able to wake up, I think, in the morning pain free. They want to have the energy to do the things, the tasks in their day. You know, not everybody wants to train for a triathlon or or even, you know, run a 5k, but I do believe that everybody wants to feel good and then have the energy to go to work and be creative and have ideas or, you know, communicate with people in a way that is, you know, enriching and energizing. Have, you know, time to have fun with their kids and have energy. And it's interesting because as someone who's, you know, pretty high energy, that's something that I get asked a lot about is like you know how can you 
you have so much energy how can you feel good like consistently you know not just like oh one day you're a bit hyper but you know how can you be consistently high energy and I do think it's really important that if people are skeptical and they think oh that's just someone's personality you know little miss energy over there but actually taking responsibility and saying maybe what have you got to lose you know if you have been feeling a certain way whether that's brain fog whether that's uh, I'm not trying to just you know diminish these things that impact people but taking I guess a little bit of like a bit of a leap of faith as well and thinking we well, you know what what have I got to lose if I listen to this conversation and maybe it's there's truth in it and maybe if I you know try this week to get 30 different plants and grains and seeds and spices and colors and you know get a recipe book you know get the get your book and kind of dive in and really give things a try what have you ultimately got to lose because even if you are skeptical at the end and then and even, even if nothing changes then you can be happy in the fact that you were right all along but maybe you'll surprise yourself what do you think I, I love that so much. Um, but, you know, I, and I also understand why people have become really skeptical because there are so many people sprouting all different diets. And, you know, in the at the end, a lot of people get left not seeing the results that they feel like they deserve because they tried so hard. Um, and that's why I'm all about the science. So I'm all about following, you know, recommendations where actually there's been independent clinical trials in humans that have shown that doing this is is more likely to improve your health than not doing this. Um, so I understand why people come, you know, from a, a skeptical background. Um, so it's all about, you know, if you are thinking about approaching something, you know, you might want to ask, you know, is there research behind this? Has it been shown in an independent study to actually have health benefits? And I feel like that can safeguard people from the extra disappointment that can come with, you know, a lot of these fad diets being thrown around. Yeah. And also the time that it takes, surely, because that's one thing I should have asked you, actually, is that if you decide to make some changes, whether that's for, I don't know, however long, how, you know, we live in a very impatient society. I'm a very impatient person. You know, we want things quickly. We want things now. You know, people do things for 24 hours and they're like, hey, where's the results? So, yeah, what would you say in terms of being patient and making those changes and kind of what should people expect and how long should they expect to to have to be patient for? Yeah, so uh, we actually did this um, plant points challenge on on social media um, at Gal Doctor, and people were, you know, coming back after two weeks um, saying, "Oh my god, I'm now getting my thirty plant points in like across the week, and I feel really good." Um, you know, some people were noticing things like their skin was starting to feel better after two weeks. Other people had noticed that actually their clothes felt really good uh, on their bodies. Other people noticed that actually things like they were having less hormonal spikes. Um, I guess in clinic, when we start to look at measurable, like um, clinically relevant changes, it does seem to take, you know, around three or so months. But actually, like I was saying with the anecdotes on the Plant Points Challenge, they start to notice after about two weeks. Um, but a lot of it, again, it's really important that we start to just change our frame of mind. And yes, we want results instantly, but also we need to be realistic where if you get instant results on something, it is very unlikely that that's going to stick around for any longer than a couple of months, um, according to the science. So yes, you might get some weight loss in a week, um, but the studies show that you're likely, like, for example, you know, if you go on a, a crazy cut out carbs diet, but the studies show that, you know, in a, two months, you're not only going to gain that weight, but plus some more because it does damage to things like your gut health. Um, so, yeah, I think it it is about, you know, 
people being realistic and knowing that you know uh, if it sounds too good often often it probably is in terms of the short-term benefits yeah and even that word results you know even when we say that or when people say that I'd, I'd really challenge people to think myself included like what does that really mean because it's not a finish line to be crossed right you see whether that's you know like i'm talking about improved energy or improving your skin or your strength or whatever the result quote unquote is really that's something that you want to be normal you know what i mean like for me that's something i want to sustain i want it to be part of my normal life it's not a finish line to be crossed to then say okay i got the result take it off the list ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So I'd love to also talk to you, Megan, about which things do potentially damage to the gut, because I also think as well as talking about all the wonderful things that we can do and things we can add and all the rest of it, of course, let's be real, there's life to be lived. And sometimes yeah. that means, you know, you might have pain and have to take ibuprofen, or you might have alcohol or coffee, or I don't know if these things impact the gut, but I have heard that ibuprofen and painkillers and things like that are terrible antibiotics. But if someone has to take them for whatever reason, then yeah, how should they think about that? Should they be fearful of that? And how can they mitigate the, the negative impact? So absolutely, I love this question, because if we have this kind of frame of mind where everything always has to be perfect, you know, you're just going to be disappointed because life happens. So if you have to have things like your ibuprofen, we know that they're not ideal for the gut. Um, and particularly if you suffer with things like reflux, uh, if we can try limit them, then that's really important, but having food with them and also, you know, remembering that we can nourish our bodies at the same time. And the same goes with antibiotics. So if you have to go on antibiotics, um, for whatever reason, think of it, you know, it might kill off some of the beneficial bacteria, but Hey, why don't you refertilize your gut with as many different types? Types of plants as possible to help them regrow um, post the antibiotic period. And actually, there's some really good evidence to take a specific uh, probiotic during your antibiotic period. And that type is called Lactobacillus rhamnus GG. Um, and you'll take that 5 billion units throughout your antibiotic period and for a week after. Now, I know that's quite... Um, therapeutic, but that's the actual way we have to treat probiotics if we want their benefit. So I talk more about those probiotic prescriptions in my first book, um, Eat Yourself Healthy. But then, you know, other things like alcohol, we know that actually having a small amount of red wine is thought to be um, beneficial because it's got all of these plant chemicals in it called polyphenols, which feed the good bacteria. But, of but course, I'm not you know, just to be honest. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not talking yeah. about a small glass of red because we all get told by a doctor, oh, have a small glass of red. I'm talking about the night where, you know, there's lots of red, there's lots of cocktails, there might be shots, there might be, I don't know, champagne, lots of things. And then in the morning after, not not just people with sore heads, but you might feel, you know, oh, queasy and the stomach feels really bloated and you might feel nauseous. And obviously something's going on there in the gut as well. Yeah, no, we, we certainly know that having large amounts of alcohol, what it does is can make your gut lining a little bit leaky, which essentially means that um, 
things can get from your gut into your body more than they would normally. And when, you know, certain things get, uh, so it could be some bacteria that might not be as good for you, get, you know, from your gut into your actual blood system, uh, then that can cause low-grade inflammation. But the good news is once the alcohol gets out of your system, that leakiness closes up. But also, you know, things like stress actually makes that gut also leaky. So if you're not kind of have some of those same effects um but you know we've all been there i absolutely am australian i come from a very heavy binge (laughs) uh, drinking background um but you know what i i often do you know i certainly don't binge drink as much as i used to but if you know you got a thing like you know a wedding and you enjoy drinking sometimes you get a little bit carried away um i always make sure that before i go out i've got a really high prebiotic meal prepared for the next day um, because let's face it, when you're a bit hungover, you're not really going to want to do any sort of cooking and, you know, deliveries so easy. Um, so I usually make my prebiotic smoky beans, which are really easy to make. And they've got like 10 different types of, um, of plants in them and you can freeze them. So I usually make a big batch, you know, maybe once a month and then freeze them in single portions. So it's like so easy to make. And you know, when you're hungover also, you don't feel like having lettuce leaves. You want to have something a bit hearty and fulfilling. And that's exactly what the smoky beans deliver. Usually have that on like seedy sourdough. So my recommendation would be prepare, um, you know, the day before to have something that's loaded with different types of plants to kind of essentially beg for forgiveness for you guys kind of go oh I'm sorry what I did here have some um some great you know fiber and prebiotics which can essentially help heal that gut lining um mm-hmm. and then also you know when you are out if you can every second drink have something you know if it's available like kombucha or you know if you're having gin add some like frozen berries to that and some mint so you're still having some of those beneficial plant chemicals throughout the drinking process I love this. Thank you, Megan, for the honesty, because I do think, as I said, you know, we listen to the the expert advice and the science and what's perfect and what's right. And of course, it's important to do so. But this is, yeah, I just think having that real element of life and saying, well, actually, yeah, when you're hungover and you drank a lot, you're probably not going to, yeah, start soaking some be like, you know, having things prepped, having things ready and knowing I love that, like beg for forgiveness. It's almost like, you know what? Life's not perfect. We're not perfect. We're human beings and we have to have fun and we have to like you said get carried away sometimes why not but then just knowing that okay cool like let's do a little bit of prep for me it's the water you know literally game changer it's just if i'm hydrated you know if if you know you're going to drink a lot or even afterwards have a pint or a bottle of water by the bed hydrate 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 and you feel so much better in the morning so yeah thank you for keeping it real megan always (laughs) okay so one last thing before we talk a little bit about the power hour because there's so much in here honestly i feel like it's just we need to go through this episode with a notebook and a pen and write notes but one more thing i wanted to talk to you a little bit about was fasting because of course fasting has had again has had a lot of spotlight has had a lot of attention it's quite I don't know, it can be quite divisive. Some people who are pro fasting are literally die hard. It is the best thing ever. It's going to change your life. And it's, you know, kind of, there's obviously evidence to support that it's, you know, the best thing ever. And then there's other people that are saying, actually, no, those things are specifically for women when it comes to, you know, our cycle or or exercise and training that actually for women, fasting should be uh, approached with caution. So yeah, what do you think uh, when it comes to our gut health, when it's, when we're talking about fasting. 
Yeah, look, I mean, there's many different types of fasting too, isn't there? There's the days where, you know, the five and two diet where um, you have a normal intake and then for two days you do the fasting, but there's also um, the time-restricted feeding when actually you reduce down your eating window to maybe eight hours in the day and then the other periods you're in the fasting state. So there's these different types. And you know what? In terms of the science, it's very much on an individual basis. There, there doesn't seem to be like this um, overarching kind of drive that, yes, fasting Fasting is beneficial for people's health or actually fasting is really, really damaging. I would say that if you do want to get experimental with fasting, what you need to keep in mind is that you're still getting in your 30 plant points a week. So you're still getting in your fiber because what can often happen is that when you are fasting, um, it kind of really narrows down your window of eating and then you can't really fit in all of those fiber foods anymore because you've only your stomach's only a certain size. Um, and as a result, your fiber intake actually reduces. And we certainly know through very robust studies that people who don't eat enough of these plant these plant foods um, actually are much higher risk of long-term, um, you know, chronic conditions, um, you know, less likely to, to reach 100. All of those sorts of things that, you know, is really important to think about in the long term term. Um, in the short term, you know, I certainly see in clinic that for some people fasting can be a helpful way if they want to get their weight under control and they feel out of control with certain foods. Um, and therefore if they just, you know, completely go cold turkey and have periods where they're not able to eat, um, then, you know, essentially they're not, they're not putting anything in their body. Um, but I feel like that for a lot of people is usually not sustainable. And especially when we talked about, you know, people's relationship with food, it can create a lot of negative associations. And for some people it can trigger things like eating disorders. So you need to be very cautious of that. Um, there has been some animal studies looking at fasting and showing that, you know, these prolonged fasts, what happens in the gut is the bacteria can actually start to tap away at the gut lining and start to try break down the mucus layer of the gut lining and kind of thin the gut lining, which makes you more susceptible to infections and things like that, essentially because you're starving your gut bacteria while you're starving the rest of your body and your bacteria don't like being hungry. Uh, so again, it's just if you are fasting and, and that feels right for your body, then make sure you're still getting in plenty of the plants when you are eating because if you, you're not hitting those points, you actually could be um, you know, and, or doing some damage in the, in the long run. Hmm. Okay. Thank you. Because also, you know, it is really important that people take, uh, you know, I guess an individual approach, as you said, to to these things. Because there's so many things that impact us, as we as we know, when it comes to what we eat, why we eat, how we eat, how that changes. And it is there's an overwhelming amount of information, and some of it is so binary. You know, people lobby really hard for the the thing that they they think is the right diet or the right way, and so it can sometimes seem quite yeah, binary. So I think it's important for people to, if you're listening to this and thinking, okay, should I do this? Should I not do this? You know, take responsibility, get kind of, I guess, professional. If you, if you need that, then get professional support. If you make any big changes to your diet and lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's it's important that people know there is no strong evidence to suggest it's going to be helpful for everyone. And I know if someone told me I had to fast, I would be a very grumpy person. Um, (laughs) So it's definitely not something you have to do to get results. If it feels right for you, like you said, that's fine. Um, As long as you you can just be cautious of those, uh, those little bits that I mentioned. 
Yeah, great. Thank you. Well, let's talk about the Power Hour. So the last time we were on the show, we did talk about this, but I am curious to know, I guess it must have changed because we mentioned at the start of the show that, you know, motherhood just changes everything. We've also had, you know, a global pandemic. So right now, Megan, at the start of a new year, do you have a Power Hour in the morning? Do you have any time for yourself? How do you start each day? Well, it certainly isn't an hour. Um, it's more like maybe 10 or so minutes in between juggling uh, Archie. Um, but I always do prioritize my breakfast. Now, there is no, you know, people say breakfast is the most important, you know, meal of the day. That's not true. Um, it's more about what you are consuming. And I am a big pre- uh, breakfast person. It definitely gets my, you know, frame of mind in a very positive way. Um, and I love food. So at the moment, what I've been doing over the past week is making my um, pre prebiotic mug muffin so essentially it's got all these like black beans in it um but it's got cocoa in it it's got a little bit of dark chocolate in it it's um got banana and some dates mixed up with oats so it literally takes five minutes to make so i um put that in the blender and then when you know it's blending away i usually take archie and it's a bit nerdy but we do a bit of a morning dance i just think that um that kind of just gets us in a really uplifted mood and, and we know that also you know the the movement not only gets our endorphins up but also gets the bacteria's endorphins up as well so i like to think it's like a a double win um and archie just giggles away uh while we're doing that little jig um get some tunes cracking and then yeah put the uh the um mug muffin in the microwave for literally two minutes and then you know breakfast is served um and archie and i usually share that actually for breakfast that's nice that's nice i mean i was listening as you i've seen actually but you know the the dates the banana the sweet it's like it does sound like a really nice really enjoyable breakfast you know it shouldn't be i think you know breakfast even if for some people you know if it's whether it's the most important or not i think it should be something that we look forward to and it's got you know the extra black beans um so it's got the prebiotics which feed the gut bacteria and i think that is you know something we need to start thinking about when we are having whatever meal um you know what's on my plate that i'm going to enjoy my taste buds are going to enjoy but hey also what's my bacteria going to enjoy in this mo- in this meal because we know that they're doing so much to look after us so we need to keep them well nourished uh, so mm-hmm. i like to you know get people to think like that around food yeah absolutely and for any new parents listening as well i think you know it's so <sighs> you can listen to this kind of thing and think, okay, cool, great. I'm going to do that. But, you know, I have a friend and she has two young twins and for so long, I feel like she just didn't, she didn't prioritize herself when it came to her food and her life. Cause she just literally felt like she didn't have the time, but she wouldn't have let them miss breakfast or she wouldn't have let them, you know, not have good nutritious food. So she was making, you know, fresh food for them and whether it was chopping things up or blending things or whatever, yet she was getting to maybe two o'clock in the afternoon and realizing, wait, all I've had to eat today is a baby and a cup of coffee so I do think it's really important for any parents listening new parents it's tough but you if you can like whilst you're preparing food for them make sure that you get some nutritious food for yourself not just as I said a bagel or a croissant and a coffee and just power through because yes there's a lot to do and it can be really challenging but you deserve to take that time for yourself as well Absolutely. And, you know, in the book, all the recipes, I feed Archie and myself. So I try, you know, be of the frame of mind of we both want to have as many plants as possible. So let's just share the meals instead of having to like make one for them and then make something for yourself. Um, And, you know, the kids, the more they see you eating these types of foods, the more that they're going to eat them. And if you get them in early, like Archie literally eats 
everything. Um, I'm sure he'll go through a fussy period, but you know, it is really important to help develop their relationship with food to watch you eating the same foods that they're eating. Yes. And oh my goodness, that fussy period that you mentioned, because I, I, when it's a long time now, if I cast my mind back, because my son's 10, but when he was, yeah, one years old, I definitely used to be like, wow, this is great because he eats everything. And I could just literally, yeah, give him fruits and vegetables and avocados and mash things up. And I'd be like, this is great. And then that changed. And it was interesting. I remember one day he like pulled a basil leaf, like pretty much out of his spaghetti and just went, oh, I don't like that. And I was like, you've been eating basil in your spinach or whatever it was for year, four years or something. I think it was maybe four or five. And suddenly one day it was like, no, I don't want that. And it was like pulling things out. <laughs> and you suddenly like, oh gosh. So yeah, it does. It definitely ebbs and flows and changes. And I guess you have to do your best to try and encourage them to keep trying new things. Now, now I'd say Jude does eat lots of things, but he definitely is like, he doesn't like anything that's spicy. And I don't mean what I would deem as spicy, what he would deem as spicy. So that is the challenge at the moment. I'm like, it's not spicy if it's got looks a tiny bit of anything in it. He's like, it's spicy. Don't like it. Never ending. Yeah. So any top tips for getting kids to eat spices, then please let us know. But thank you so much for joining me again. Bit of an aside there. I always enjoy our conversations. I always enjoy when you have a new book out. I got mine in December. I got an early copy and I was like straight in marking up pages, folding over ones like, oh, this looks good. Oh, that looks great. So thank you so much. And yeah, thank you again for joining us on the show. Well, I hope you and your gut microbes enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) And as always, thank you so much for tuning in to the Power Hour. Have an awesome week and I'll be back next week. See ya. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.